0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 28th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. friend told me that she knew her father was a believer. She knew he was a believer from the way he lived his life and the things he did, but that he, he, he never talked about his faith. Just He was a Lutheran believer, apparently, and he just never talked about his faith, not ever, except one time he talked about his faith. They were on a family vacation in Colorado And they were driving through these purple mountains, Majesty, and her father, who never talked about his faith out loud, said out loud to his wife and his children, how could anyone look at all of this and not believe there's a God? Well, no, of course, there are those who can look at all of that and not believe there's a God, including a friend or two of mine. But even years later, this friend I'm talking about remembers that day when she learned that her father wasn't one of them. She remembers the time when her dad, who lived the faith but just never talked about the faith, couldn't help but talk about his faith as he was moved by the majesty of the Creator's. Creation. You ever have moments like that? I mean, let's be honest. Many of us have had moments when we can't, for the life of us, see God. Have you ever had moments? Like my friend's friend's dad, my friend's dad, when he couldn't in this life not see God? Our house has a backyard which faces east and so um, we can watch the sunrise in the morning and if the windows are open or if we happen to be sitting out um, having coffee at that time, the sunrise is always accompanied by a soundtrack which every, every single day is a brand new composed and performed original every single day. It's the soundtrack of robins and cardinals and doves and sparrows and finches and sometimes gapes singing their good mornings to each other and singing their good mornings to God as the sky is painted in purples and oranges and reds and yellows and pinks and light. Watching them then I can't not pray a prayer something like God you are so And sometimes being me, um, I don't just say that, I sing it. Because you, you don't know anything about me unless you know that in my head, life has a soundtrack. There's just always a song to be sung that is appropriate for this moment. And so sometimes in those moments, my prayers are songs. Songs like, this is my father's world. The birds, their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white. Declare their maker's praise Or chanting bird and flowing fountain Call us to rejoice in thee Or of course, O Lord my God When I in awesome wonder Consider all the works thy hands have made Then sings my soul My Savior God to thee How great thou art how great thou art. Our psalm for today. Psalm 8 is a song. A song that the psalmist wrote of a moment like that, except the moment wasn't driving through the mountains with family. It wasn't sitting on the deck watching the sunrise. For the writer of Psalm 8, the moment when it was impossible not to sing praises and prayers to the Creator was nighttime, staring up into a clear night sky, perfectly, one of those nights, perfectly clear night sky. And of course, there are no, there's not one city light within anywhere to dim the light. Even the campfire that had been burning earlier is now just a small bed of dimmed coal. Staring from the dark into that brilliant sky, brilliant and alive with light, the psalmist couldn't not compose and sing Psalm 8's prayer, a prayer in which to God, and who knows, maybe his daughter, who's sitting there beside him, didn't he didn't say, how can anyone look at this and not believe there's a God? The psalmist, maybe to God, but also his daughter sitting there beside him said, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth ever prayed a prayer from that place in the soul where that prayer comes from ever had a moment when you were so wowed by God because really that's a great paraphrase of that verse God wow you ever had a moment when you were so wowed by God that you couldn't not see God and you couldn't not praise God if if yes Maybe some of you had that moment in Canada recently, staring up into the sky. If you had a moment like that, you are a soulmate of the psalmist because you know that place in the soul where those verses in Psalm 8 are coming from. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You whose glory is chanted above the heavens out of the mouths of infants. Out of the mouths of babes, the King James used to say. You've heard that phrase. Now you know, which maybe you didn't know, it comes from Psalm eight, verse two. God's glory, says the Psalmist, is sung out of the mouths of babes. It's not a psalm which means a phrase which means that God's glory is simple. Rather, it means that in the psalmist's mind, staring into the skies this particular night, God's glory is so glorious, it's simply obvious. I'm imagining a tent or two nearby and the sounds of a child inside. And the psalmist says that as he hears the sound a child makes, he hears that as praise to God. I think the same thing when I think with gratitude of those of you who bless us with infants and young children at worship and the sounds that they sometimes make at worship. And when I hear them, I mean, this was just remarkably staged timing, wasn't it? The first indication of the Holy Spirit ever been known to just kind of tickle a little girl so she'd make a sound. When I hear those sounds, I think like the psalmist did. I hear those sounds as praise to God. Even though I realize, dear parents, that when your children make psalms sounds you sometimes don't hear praise. You think your children are being an unwelcome distraction. Your children are God. God's the giver, and it is our honor, it is our privilege to join parents. In raising children to know that. When I hear a child making sounds, I hear a child singing praise to God and a group of people pledging to teach that child the God she's praising. Back to the psalm where in verses three and four, the awesomeness of the Creator's creation next took to the psalmist's heart and mind in a different direction, and this may be a direction you've also gone on occasion. The psalmist writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars that you have set in their places, what are mere mortals that you should be mindful of them? Human beings that you should care for them. Have you ever had a thought that rhymes with that one? And maybe sometimes, as you had that thought that rhymed with that one, it maybe even felt like it was bringing some shadows into your faith life. God's creation is so magnificently, awesomely, expansively, unfathomably, unfathomable that the psalmist, and maybe you sometimes too, started to feel, in the grand scheme of things, oh so unfathomably tiny so unfathomably insignificant. And of course, writing this psalm thousands of years ago, with all the insights of thousands of years ago science informing his gaze into the seven, the psalmist didn't have a clue how insignificant he was, did he, compared to us and all that we know with the insights of modern science. I mean, he could see the stars in the skies. We, we are told about the unimaginable vastness that even everything we can see, everything we can see is itself just a blip on the radar compared to the vast majesty of everything. We know, for example, we can't fathom this, I can't fathom this, but we know that the universe is so vast that some of the stars that we see at night, not very many of them that we can see with our our naked eyes, but some of them have actually already burned out. In some cases, thousands or more years ago, but we're seeing them now because the light has been traveling to us ever since thousands or so years ago when that star burned out. The light's been coming for us to see, and it's been traveling at the speed of light, of course, 186,000 miles per second for thousands of years, and now it's getting here, and we see it. We are... There's no way around it. We today, with today's science, know beyond what the psalmist had a clue about. We are literally so unimaginably insignificant compared to the grand vastness of the vastness of everything. Does that leave you wondering sometimes, like the psalmist, but even more so because we know so much more? Do you ever wonder sometimes if being that? literally insignificant compared to the universe, you must surely be literally, unimaginably so much more insignificant to the creator of everything. The creator who says the Bible's first creation story, the one in Genesis 1 that we heard read, literally made it all happen just by telling it to Which, by the way, is different than how the creator made everything happen in the Bible's Second creation story, the one in Genesis 2, that's the whole Adam and Eve story where God is much more hands-on. In Genesis 1, God creates by just saying, happen. In Genesis 2, God creates by playing in the dirt and making a dirtling and calling it Adam. Adama meaning dirt. Adam meaning this person. And just a little bit of Bible study aside, I want to tell you that those differences in those side-by-side creation stories in the Bible, um, when it comes to how exactly, I mean, just speaking or playing in the dirt, those differences are, are one of the reasons that I think that those who say that the Bible's creation stories, that wonderful story that Chris read, that those need to be read like a science book. I think they are so missing the point. And they are replacing it at best with sub-points. And in some cases with pointless things. As in, for example, at the time a guy told me that, he's got his Bible in his hand, he told me that unless I, I couldn't call myself a Christian, I could, not, I could not go to heaven. I could not be saved unless I believed as he did from reading the Bible the way he read it and reading it to me every chance he had, which was reading it as though it was a science book and telling me that the universe was created. And I had to believe this to go to heaven. The universe was created in six 24-hour days and that the world is somewhere just over 6,000 years old. Well, that's not what I believe when I read the Bible. And, I mean, God bless him, but when when push comes to shove, I don't think that's what the Bible asks me to believe, frankly. Because I think, my brother's a science teacher. I think when it comes to science questions, the Bible wants me to go ask a scientist. It comes under the category of God gave us brains, use them. The Bible, I think, mostly wants to talk to us about truth that is different. I want to suggest deeper, a deeper genre of truth than the truth of science, and truth that is absolutely way deeper than the truths espoused by biblicists who think that the truest truths that could ever possibly be written or spoken are truths that are written or spoken to be understood literally. I literally don't think that is true. I think the Bible is speaking deeper truth than anything else could ever be true when it says in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and I think says it even better, Because when it comes to the how-tos, they aren't the same. Reminding us that the how-tos aren't the point. I think the Bible is speaking truth deeper than anything else could ever be true when it says in both Genesis 1 and 2 that however and whenever it was exactly and literally that the creation and everything came into being. Here's the truth. God did it. And God did so on purpose. That is the point which is not written as science, but is also not written against science. It is written as something other than science about a God who apparently, I think, judging by results, is a great scientist. I think God is also great at math. I think, looking at creation, that God is great at poetry and God is great at art and God is great at music. And God is great at love. The Bible's the point on the matter is not that in the beginning there was a cosmic coincidence. The Bible's the point on the matter, not versus science, but other than science, is this. In the beginning, God. And then by God, us. Including by God, everything. Everything. And the advancing wonders upon wonders upon head-spinning wonders of modern science aren't somehow inherently threats to that miracle. In fact, in my mind, they're the exact opposite because they make the miracle even more miraculous. I mean, the greater the majesty and mystery of the universe, the greater my wowedness at the majesty and mystery of the creator of the universe, and two, the greater the majesty and mystery of the greater of the God, of the creator of the universe, the greater the wowsomeness of the promise of Psalm 8 verse 5, which says, yet, yet here referring back to how awesomely awesome God is and how in comparison how mortally piddly we are, made from the dust, returning to the dust, yet you have made them, which is to say humans, which is to say you, little less than divine, With glory and honor you crown them. You've made them rule over, it is sometimes translated, you've given them dominion over the works of your hands. That harkens back again to Genesis 1 where it says God created humans in God's image to rule over, to have dominion over God's creation. Tragically, And ridiculously inaccurately, from a Bible study perspective, too many have heard that thought of humanity's dominion over God's creation and have gotten all dominant about their thoughts of humanity's relation to creation. As in the world is our oyster, let's have at its pearls. Or the world is our oil field, let's have at its fracking oil. Or as in the world is our lumberyard, let's chop down its trees, and if that leaves nothing or leaves a mess for those who come after us, well, that's too bad for them because we've got dominion over the earth and business is business and profit is profit and we run this place and it's about the bottom line and the bottom line is us and that's that. Well, you know what? Biblically speaking, no, it's not. No, that is not that, not even close because the dominion language the Bible uses to talk about humanity's relation to creation is precisely not about having standing above creation to exploit it for our purpose. It's about having been given the honored position we have in God's creation for God's purposes. And what are God's purposes? Easy question. God created creation after all. And God loves what God created. This is really good. God said when God was done creating. And then it says that God created men and women in God's own image for dominion over the earth, which is patently not about exploiting what is good, it is about caring for creation for good. Sisters and brothers, be good to one another. For God's sake, please be good to one another. But don't stop there. Be good to the birds, be good to the lilies, be good to the water. Be good to the air. Be good to the sunrise. Be good to it all. You want to know how to do that? You know what? Talk to a scientist. Be good to it. Because the best song of praise that can ever be sung to our creator God is to love and care for all that God created and loves and set us above to rule over for God, for good. Amen.